Good afternoon and welcome back to Midday Magazine for Tuesday, March 28th. I'm Shelby Herbert reporting for KFSK. The Petersburg Borough Assembly could change its charter in a way that will give borough employees more flexibility to serve on different boards. In order for the ordinance to pass, the Assembly has to vote on it three times. After that, Petersburg voters get to decide whether or not to adopt it in October if it passes. Here's more on the status of the new ordinance. The ordinance to change the borough's home rule charter was approved by a vote of six to one in its first and second readings. Here's how it works. The ordinance would allow anybody who works for the borough, which includes employees of Petersburg's medical center and school district, to serve on certain boards and commissions. But it wouldn't allow these employees to serve in any role that would directly oversee their own employment. For example, a borough employee could serve on the school board, but would not be allowed to run for assembly. Assembly member Scott Newman says up until a few years ago, people were doing this anyways. They weren't aware that it wasn't allowed by the charter. In the past 30 years or so, there's been like two or three people that worked at either the hospital or the school, and then they served on different boards. And evidently that has been not supposed to happen. It was just an oversight. Newman says the change is necessary because of the unique challenges of living in a town with a small population. That dynamic can mean that some Petersburg professionals wear a lot of different hats. There's some professional people that bring a lot to the table, and it makes sense the way it's written that there's no conflict of interest. And I think it's a good idea because, you know, it brings some good people that maybe brings good stuff to the table. Five members of the assembly voted in favor of it both times, but assembly member Donna Marsh has withheld her support. After the second reading, she said the change would be unnecessary and that the charter already has good safeguards against conflicts of interest. I have reconsidered and I am still not content with this, with the emphasis of potential conflicts of interest already being in the charter that would protect such conflicts of interest. Marsh says she's not comfortable with how she believes the ordinance could put an employee in a situation where they can't make fair decisions or can't make a decision at all. She used upcoming legislation involving the Petersburg School District as an example. And I'm going to toss a theoretical out there, which is that if you had three employees of the school district sitting on the borough assembly, when it comes time for making appropriations to the school board, um, I see a huge conflict of interest. And it would be a shame that three of the assembly members would be denied the privilege to vote. So this one doesn't make sense yet to me. Petersburg's school board is currently in the process of requesting more funds from the borough. Local funding has remained flat for over 20 years, and the school board reported that they're behind at least $800,000. The legislation to change the charter will go into effect if it passes the third and final reading and if Petersburg voters approve it on October 3rd. The next assembly meeting is scheduled for 12 noon on April 2nd and will take place in the assembly chambers. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. Wrangell's tribal government is sponsoring an event that aims to cut down on the amount of potentially toxic electronic waste that gets thrown away on the island. 
Sage Smiley reports from Wrangell. Wrangell's borough government doesn't have a recycling service, so residents make do with a variety of private and tribal government-sponsored ways to cut down on waste. There is a community compost area at the community garden. The local swim team collects cans for recycling, and Wrangell grocery stores accept cardboard. Every few years, the Wrangell Cooperative Association's Environmental Office also hosts an electronic waste recycling event. All electronics, computers, laptops, TVs have precious metals in them that can be reused along with the plastics that encase them can also be reused. Kim Wickman is one half of the two-person office. It's expensive to ship trash off Wrangell Island, and she says reducing what gets shipped saves money and space in the landfills down south. Plus, many electronics are toxic. And as these electronics break down, they will actually start to leach certain um, toxic heavy metals, uh, lead, mercury, cambium, and those type of things, into the landfill, which will end up um, confined its way into different waterways, which then finds its way back to us. So by recycling them, we're keeping things that are hazardous from the landfills, which will then keep them from coming to us. Another benefit is recycling precious metals that have to be mined. So the more that we're able to reuse these different metals, the less mining we have to do to obtain them. After collecting electronic waste from Wrangell residents, Wickman says that waste will be sorted and put on pallets where it'll be barged down to Washington to a recycling center called Total Reclaim. They will um, harvest out the precious metals so they can be reused again. Anything that's toxic that could be inside of them will be disposed of properly and the plastics can be recycled. The sky's the limit for the variety of small electronics that can be recycled at the event. So we like to say everything with a brain or a cord. Um, so that goes to, it could be your laptop or your cell phone, um, pretty much anything except for vacuum cleaners, uh, white goods. So like refrigerators, even though they have um, a chip in them now, we don't, we can't take those. We don't have the capacity for it or hospital type equipment. Those type of things are things we're not going to be accepting. That also includes household batteries. Wickman says larger batteries, like the ones in a car, won't be accepted at the e-waste recycling event, but can be recycled at local auto or marine shops. The tribe's e-waste recycling event started around 2016, after Wickman went to the Southeast Environmental Conference in Ketchikan and attended a presentation on electronic waste and e-waste recycling events. And I thought, you know what, this is really, really cool. This is something Wrangell needs because we kept finding TVs out on the logging roads that people would dump or old computers that were shot full of holes. Uh, you know, this could be a much better option than leaving them out at the end of road. The last time WCA held an e-waste recycling event in 2021, they collected more than 6,500 pounds of old computers, televisions, and corded household appliances. And again, Wickman says shipping all that metal and plastic down south gets expensive. So for the first time, they'll be charging Wrangellites to drop off e-waste, 25 cents per pound. Um, unfortunately, on our end of it, it's not free. We have to pay to ship everything down south, and then we actually have to pay Total Reclaim to process all of it for us, and it can get pretty spendy. So we're hoping by charging 25 cents a pound that we can at least cover a little bit of our shipping costs, so that way we'll be able to host these type of programs longer. But Wickman says they're also extending the event to three days rather than cramming it into a single day so that more people might be able to find time to stop by and recycle old tech. And so that way we're hoping we can kind of get things around people who are trying to be working on those days. Maybe they can squeeze it in at a lunch hour 
somewhere in there or after work. If a rummage through cupboards and closets turns up some old electronics that can be recycled, WCA will be accepting e-waste recycling at the Cultural Center on Front Street Thursday and Friday from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. and from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Saturday, April 1st. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. Maternal deaths went up 40% nationwide in 2021. That includes people who die while giving birth or within six weeks after. The rate also went up in Alaska, but Alaska has its own way of measuring maternal mortality, so comparisons to national rates are tricky. In 2021, 20 mothers died in Alaska. It was the highest number of reported pregnancy-associated deaths in the last decade. Vanessa Verigen leads the state's maternal child death review. They called the increase a call to arms. We had a, a, a tragic number of maternal deaths, um, pregnancy-associated deaths during that year. In Alaska, most of these deaths don't happen during labor. Instead, they happen because of the violence afterwards. More than half of maternal deaths in the last five years were linked to intimate partner violence. Alaska has some of the highest rates in the nation. But what I see now is that Alaska's pregnancy-associated rate um, and those pregnancy-associated deaths due to violence are what we're really looking at um, because that's where we're losing most maternal life um, is in deaths that are from mental health, substance-related deaths, and homicide and violence. There's another factor that may have influenced the spike in maternal mortality in 2021, the COVID-19 pandemic. During Alaska's Delta wave, state physicians spoke out about how overcrowding and rationed care at hospitals had a devastating effect on the maternity ward, and there was an uptick in violence against women throughout the pandemic years. Alaska Native women are disproportionately represented among maternal deaths. The Alaska Native Birth Workers Community is a volunteer-led nonprofit that offers birth and postpartum support to address the disparity. Farrigan also manages a new program that provides free doula support and culturally competent care to pregnant people. It's kind of become the latest big thing, um, cultural doulas and, and doula support as, as maternal mortality prevention. And then doula support as violence prevention is even an even newer idea. The program's aim is to prevent maternal deaths from violence. 2021 was the program's first year, and it has since expanded. Verigin says they can see that it's working. The Central Council of the Shinget and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska is one of five tribes to receive a state tribal education compacting grant. Education compact agreements allow the allow tribes to develop their own K-12 curriculum independent of existing public school districts. Supporters say tribal groups could help improve educational outcomes for Alaska Native students by providing culturally relevant place-based lessons. Last year, Governor Mike Dunleavy signed a bill to begin the process of creating state tribal compact schools. Thingit and Haida President Chea Iish Richard Peterspin, 
Richard Peterson spoke in support of the bill to the Senate Education Committee last year. The state of Alaska supports local control in many ways, including in education. Tribal compacting is the epitome of local control. To grant Shinget and Haida, will the grant to Shinget and Haida will fund someone to serve as a liaison to the state board of education. The tribes will work with the board to develop their own schools and work on legislation that can make them more widespread. Shinget and Haida runs Head Start for kids aged three to five throughout southeast Alaska and offers cultural learning opportunities for public school students of all ages. The other grant recipients include the Ketchikan Indian Community, King Island Native Community, Knik Tribe, and Inupiaq Community of the Arctic Slope. The summer camp run by Ketchikan's Parks and Recreation Department is expanding this year due to high demand and long wait lists for young campers. The program could also soon become certified through a nationwide summer camp program, which would open doors to further growth. Reagan Miller has the details in Ketchikan. Every summer, Ketchikan kids have the chance to enroll in the summer camp put on by the Ketchikan Gateway Borough's Parks and Recreation Department. The camp lasts anywhere from 9 to 13 weeks, but you can't always get in. The wait list has grown to record highs, according to Kalia Allen, the department's recreation programmer. I've never seen a wait list so long before. It was between 20 and 30 kids a week. So we knew that it was a growing program and it was a want and it was a need for a lot of families. Wendy Miller, the department's recreation director, told Ketchikan's borough assembly on Monday that the camp has an agreement with Ketchikan Charter School this year. Camp will be headquartered in the school when campers aren't swimming, hiking, roller skating, or taking nature walks. Previously, the camp was run out of the Gateway Recreation Center, which is next to the charter school. The new venue will give the camp more space. We always try to get more and more creative every single summer. But expanding the size of camp isn't the only improvement coming down the pipe. Allen says that she's also working on preparing for a visit from the American Camp Association. Usually um, places take about a year to two years to fully get ready for their visit, and we're kind of cramming it in in three to four months. But it's something that um, I've become very passionate in. It's something that I want to do because I know it will improve the quality for everyone. The National Association will decide if Ketchikan's camp can become accredited. A certification would allow camp directors to advertise their jobs on the association's website, plus access to more resources. Allen says the certification also would help streamline safety policies. There's a lot of perks out there. We can start posting our jobs um, through their websites and through their work resources, so there could be more opportunities as far as getting more um college students or college graduates or people in the education field, not just here, but there as well. Right now, Ketchikan's camp is staffed almost completely by locals. Staffers range from high school students to career teachers. So far, there are 17 counselors signed up to help this year. Miller, the recreation director, says that they still need two more counselors. At the end of the day, Allen says it's all about making the opportunity available to as many kids and families as possible. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller.